Hashtag SFM Sport Tracks. All right, I want you to throw your mind back 10 years from now. It was a simpler time when Super Rugby was made up of 14 sides. They played against each other. Top four, number one played number four, number two played number three in a semi-final. Top two played in the final. That was the way it worked. It was really simple. Sports editor of the Daily Maverick joins us now, Craig Gregg. Evening to you, Craig. Good chatting again. John, nice to be back. Nice to hear that you guys were back on the radio too. Doing our best, eh? Super Rugby <laughs> Super Rugby was different back then. Yeah, as you said, simpler. I mean, <laughs> yes. yeah, everyone played everyone, sometimes home, sometimes away, but mm. you, you had your your 13 games in the in the regular season and then you semi-final final. Simple, 15 games uh, maximum if you if you made it to the final. And, you know, someone won, someone lost. They were, <laughs> didn't have conferences and yeah, quarterfinals and all this kind of nonsense. Three Australian sides in the top six back in 2010 as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, different. sometimes. Uh, <laughs> well, remember, <laughs> a lot of things were different just six months ago, never mind 10 years ago. Yeah. All right. The reason we got you on, Craig, is to talk about that final. First of all, it also uh, an all-South African Super Rugby final. How many were there? Do we know? Off the top of my head, there was only two, 2007-2010. Um, so, yeah, it was the last one. That was the last final the Bulls were in. It was the only final the Stormers have been in. Um, yeah, and uh, the Sharks have been in a few. So yeah. The Lions were in three in a row, obviously. Um, but, yeah, those were the only two, 2007, when the Bulls famously beat the Sharks. The last second try by Brian Abano. Yeah, and then yeah. 2010, where the Bulls famously beat the Stormers, but it was famous for other reasons, really. Yeah, first of all, I still can't forgive Brian O'Banner for that. I mean, he might be one of the greatest wings the Springboks have ever had, but he beat the Sharks, so that's fine. Brian, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Bulls against the Stormers. Tell us why they were played at Orlando Stadium, Craig. Well, it was a long story, wasn't it? But it was the year of the 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa, of course. So, um, you know, and uh, you picked up on my story in Daily Maverick this week. A very long story, but I went through the whole history and it's got the story behind the story. And it was interesting that in 2003, when the local organizing committee were bidding or planning to bid for the right to host the 2010 FIFA World Cup, uh, they approached the Bulls and, and said, uh, you know, could, could, you know, Loftus is going to be part of our planning mm-hmm. for one of the stadiums to host football matches. Um, you know, and the Bulls were only too happy to oblige because in 2003 the Bulls were rabble, really. I mean, they had lost every game of the year in 2001. <laughs> they had won two out of 11 in 2002, and they weren't doing much better in 2003. So they, yeah, they didn't consider um, that they would be in a Super Rugby final mm. seven years time. And uh, you know, as it turned out, they were in the Super Rugby final quite a bit earlier than that. But they they said yeah sure and and also the yeah the the sweetener for the bulls was that Loftus Fasfeld would get a hundred and forty mil, million rand upgrade mm. if uh, the World Cup came to South Africa and it duly did come to South Africa it was awarded to South Africa I think in two thousand and four so there were six years of planning and and Loftus got its upgrade but in the meantime the bulls rose and became one of the forces in Super Rugby to the point where they won it as we've just spoken about in two thousand and seven. Uh, 2008 was the year of the e, the famous or infamous ELV uh, laws that confused everybody, and the Bulls didn't have a great year that year, but they bounced back and won it again in 2009. By this stage, Loftus was, had been uh, refurbished, and by 2010, the Bulls were the preeminent team in Super Rugby, and 
suddenly they realized, whoa, hang on, if we look at the calendar for the fixtures next year, if, <laughs> if there's a semi-final and a final at home, we can't have it at Loftus because FIFA takes control of the stadium three weeks before the World Cup kicks off. And the World Cup was due to kick off on June the 11th of 2010. And FIFA would have had to take control of the stadium somewhere around May the 21st or something. And the final or the semi-final was scheduled for May the 22nd mm. of 2010. So so the Bulls had a scramble on their hands and they were looking for a stadium and, and they, you know, they... A lot of stadiums that might not have been used for the World Cup were training bases for football teams coming for the World Cup, so they were out of bounds. Other stadiums were fan parks, so they were out of bounds. Um, so they, yeah, Supersport Park, for instance, in Pretoria, that wasn't one option, but that was a fan park, so that had already gone under FIFA control. The uh, Lucas Moripi Stadium in Attridgeville, where Sundowns play some of their games, um, that was another option, but Germany were based there as a training team, or they were going to be based there, and the, and the stadium had been cordoned off mm. and, and both those stadiums as well only had capacities under 30,000 around about 27 28,000 each so you know the Bulls suddenly had a problem they they toyed briefly with the idea of going to Newlands because Newlands wasn't part of the World Cup roster in any form uh, but you know with the Stormers doing well they would have meant handing over home ground advantage to the Stormers for a final potentially they didn't know for sure who would be in the final and the other option was Kings Park in Durban but again it was sort of giving away uh, you know, you're taking it really far away from your fans. Mm. Um, and, and so Baron von Kran, who was the chief um, operating officer at the time of the Bulls, he, he was getting a bit desperate. He phoned around and Derek Blankensee, who happened to be the competition uh, organizer for the local organizing committee, uh, he suggested to the Bulls that maybe they should consider Orlando Stadium. He checked it out. They found the dimensions were good. It was hosting the opening concert to the World Cup, if you recall, which uh, was on the Wednesday night before the World Cup started, or the Tuesday night before the World Cup started. And that, the World Cup, I think, started on a Friday evening or Friday afternoon with that mm. famous Bafana performance at FNB where Sipiwe Chabalala oh, scored such a wonderful goal. <laughs> but um, so they, they got the stadium for the semi final. Um, and that was all. They hadn't really organized a, a stadium for the final because, they, well, first of all, they didn't know if they were going to win the semi-final. Yes. But secondly, they, you know, they, as far as they were concerned, Orlando Stadium was also out of bounds for the final. So, you know, the Bulls then you know, communicated this to their fans that they were going to Orlando Stadium. Well, you could hear the sound of jaws dropping around Pretoria that the Bulls were going to go play in Soweto. It yes. was like unheard of. And Byron von Kron, um, you know, to his credit, sold the idea and 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 he took a lot of flack from a lot of supporters of the Bulls. They were they were skeptical, and it, it didn't come without its problems. The day of the semi final against the Crusaders at Orlando Stadium uh, just so happened to be a little dress rehearsal down the road at uh, the Soccer City at FNB Stadium, <laughs> where Chiefs were playing Pirates, and there were like ninety thousand people there for that game. And you had traffic coming into Orlando from Pretoria for the semi final, and it was a bit of a disaster. Uh, Orlando Stadium was. You know, only about 50% full up until half-time of the Crusaders game. There was talk of delaying the kickoff for that game, but they eventually kicked off on time. So it only filled up in the second half, and the Bulls famously won that semi-final uh, convincingly. And then, okay, we're in the final. The Stormers have won their semi-final. Uh, do we have a stadium <laughs> and uh, for, to host a Super Rugby final? So Byron Fonkron got on the phone to Danny Jordan, who was South Africa's 
organising committee chief, Danny Jordan, got on the phone to FIFA and said, can they use the stadium? And it was done. Sure. Um, they, they got the stadium for the final, and the rest is history because mm. by then everyone had realised what a jewel and what a fun weekend it had been in Orlando. So the following weekend, the Bulls' biggest problem was that everyone wanted to go to Orlando, <laughs> and, they, uh, <laughs> and they didn't have enough tickets. And they actually had a few lawsuits from street holders and so on who, who weren't, um, you know, given tickets as part of their season ticket uh, because, you know, the, the, it was an ex- exceptional circumstances. So they had a lot of problems, but the bottom line was those that went, the, the day was one of the most fantastic mm. days in South African rugby history. The Bulls won the final to crown it off for them. So they, they won their third Super Rugby title in four years. And, you know, they they really made a lot of friends. And, and Soweto became Bulls fans for a while. And as Farida Prea says in my story, the Bulls really missed a trick by not going back. Um, yes. Yeah, that was the one thing they should have really kicked on and made an annual game at the Orlando Stadium. At least. And for, you know, various reasons, marketing, logistic, all sorts of reasons, they never did go back. Uh, they had one preseason game there a few years later, but it was a preseason game. But they never went back for a proper Super Rugby game. And, and I think, you know, it was a moment in time where the Bulls did something very clever with marketing, more by, by default than design. Mm. Uh, they didn't plan it, but when they realized this was the option, they really sold it. Um, and, and they should have perhaps kept on from there and, and made Orlando part of their fixture list. It, it was a time in South Africa where you know, everything was, everything was rainbowy again. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, the, we we had all bought tickets to go at, well at least one football match at a stadium somewhere. This was leading up to it, as you said. It was it was bringing Pretoria to Soweto it was a great idea, uh, and uh, like I was saying a little while ago, it was the first time my dad had been in Soweto, and yeah, taking and a rear via bus, people. taking yeah. a rear yeah. via bus or a train to get into the, into the, the the township. It, as as you said, it is sad that they didn't carry on, but it really did a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I think, spurred, well, just for that moment in time in mm. particular, it, it really kick-started the Football World Cup in many yes. ways because, it, it, you know, coming as it did on May the 29th, which was approximately two weeks before the, the opening day, 13 days before the opening game of, of the FIFA World Cup, it, it really got the country into a sporting spirit. You know, this great occasion, this great moment in rugby South African teams dominating Super Rugby. The Springboks were on top of the world at that point. They, you know, they had just come off that excellent 2009 season. The Football World Cup was in South Africa. All the skepticism, all the naysayers. The stadiums were built. Everything was ready. Um, yeah, it was just a wonderful time and you know, serendipitous. And maybe, maybe in a way, that's as it should be. It's a capsule, a time capsule. And and you know, the Bulls could never have replicated that sort of mood again in Orlando. Maybe it. In retrospect, maybe it just belongs in that time capsule as a moment that was that was wonderful while it lasted. Yeah, I'm just looking at that bull side. It's it's a damn impressive side. Francois Hochard, Monet Stein, Farid Prea, Pierre Spice, uh, Victor Matfield, Dival Portrita, Dion Stegman. Uh, that's a pretty impressive side even today. Yeah, I mean, they had, yeah, they had a great side. The Storms weren't too bad either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 Jacques Ferry, Brian Abana, Scott Berger, you know, Andres Becker. Uh, you know, the, the Tian, uh, Tian um, uh, Liebenberg at Hooker, he was a yeah, Springbok as well. I mean, they they had some, yeah, those were two magnificent sides playing good rugby. Rassi Rasmus was director of rugby at the Stormers. He had a lot to do with, the, yeah, the success of that team. Mm. 
as well. Um, and, you know, Francois Lowe was in it. Uh, yeah, uh, South African rugby was riding high at the time. You know, everything felt good in South Africa. You know, it was just a... I mustn't forget, it was only 20 months after the world's economies collapsed on the, the 2008 sure. global collapse. So, you know, the world hadn't been in a great place, but South Africa had survived it a little bit better than, than most of the world because of our banking system being a little bit more robust and ready for what, what happened in 2008. But even so, you know, it had been a tough couple of years economically leading up to that. So it, it was just the kind of boost South Africa needed at the time. Chatting to Craig Ray, he's the Daily Maverick sports editor. Going to talk to him about some other rugby things in a moment. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. So Craig, if if and when rugby start resumes, should Super Rugby teams make a plan and get to smaller stadia? Well, you know, it's a tough one because it's a commercial, it's a commercial question. Yeah. If you're selling season tickets at Kings Park uh, or tickets, Newlands, yeah. or okay, it won't be Newlands in the future, but, you know, you, you're selling the package that your suite holders and your season ticket holders are going to get X amount of home game. That's going to be part of the package. Mm-hmm. And they want there, they've got their, they're comfortable there. That's what, they, that's what they're buying into. So if you suddenly say to them, well, we're taking one of these games to, you know, wherever, Worcester in the Cape or... Mm-hmm or Brackpan or something if you're the Lions. You know, it's not the same. They've got to check out there. They miss one home game. They're not quite getting the full value. So it becomes a commercial commercial question. It's also logistically it's difficult, you know, to, as I explained in that particular story, there's a lot of work around traffic departments and police and everything else that goes around with securing a stadium for a match day um, that you now have to go work with a new police department or a, or a new you know, municipality. Um, so there are those kind of issues. They're not insurmountable issues, but they, they're issues that you kind of go, well, do we really need it? And, for and, a once-off. You know, yeah, for a once-off. And, um, you know, you think of the Sunwolves in particular. They, they played out of Singapore and Tokyo mm. during Super Rugby, and that hasn't been great. You know, what, you know, we know they're a Japanese team, but they play three or four games a year in Singapore where they get no one. <laughs> you know, what's the point of that for the Sunwolves? You know, it doesn't add to their brand. Uh, they get much better crowds in Japan. So why have they been dragged away? And they even played the one game in Hong Kong against the Stormers, which was a bit of a disaster because it was about 80 degrees and you know high humidity. So, um, yeah, it's happened in the past. I think in the early days of Super Rugby, the Stormers played the game at Berlin Park. And, um, I think the Lions uh, or the Bulls did go play at uh, Brackpan at one stage uh, in the early days of Super Rugby. But, you know, it's all about identity. It's all about brand. And mm. if you think about it, Liverpool aren't going to go play games anywhere but Anfield <laughs> yes. home games. Yeah, they're they're going to play, play on some scrubby field around yeah, the corner. Exactly. Just to get it. And, um, yeah, I think if we're professional, that's what professional sport does. Right. The Bulls did it in that one moment because they had no other option. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the commercially, you'd rather just keep it in your, your ground. You mentioned Newlands. Uh, what's Cape Town like at the moment with Newlands and the Cape Town and the City Stadium? Well, I mean, you know, they, they're moving to Cape Town Stadium next year. That's the plan. But, of course, this was going to be the big year oh, wow. of celebration at yeah. Newlands. It was every game was like the last game against the Bulls, the last game against the Lions, the last, you know, at, at Newlands. And there was going to be the test match against Scotland. That was supposed to be the last test ever at Newlands, which has been scrubbed now because the July test window is, is gone under coronavirus. So, so in a way... Poor old Newlands is, is is sort of ending its life as a rugby stadium with a whimper and not a bang. Um, and that's disappointing, but, you know, no one could have foreseen this. And I suspect if 
at all possible, yeah, maybe even next year they'll come back for a farewell game, you know, to to say goodbye to the old stadium appropriately. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think there'll be a big push in the lobby to to say, look, let's give Newlands a final Springbok test in 2021. Um, you know, there's two games scheduled, for instance, the British and Irish Lions sure. are scheduled in South Africa next year, and I think they've got the one test at Cape Town Stadium and a, and a game against the Stormers at Cape Town Stadium. So Cape Town Stadium actually has two games scheduled for in that tour. So it's possible they might say, OK, let's play the Stormers game at Newlands against right. the British and Irish Lions, for yeah. argument's sake. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying that's a yeah, theoretical consideration. So it's... Yeah, they'll have to do something, but yeah, it's it's a sentimental. It's the sentiment in me speaking. The pure cold business of it is <laughs> if Newlands has been sold to a developer to turn into luxury apartment <laughs> yeah, blocks, or they want some you know, he, exactly, he wants to. You know, he's got to do a sock turning next April or whatever. <laughs> the case. You know, he's not too worried about whether there's a final farewell to Newlands. So, you yeah. know, commercial again, commercial considerations might uh, overtake sentiment. Okay, let's talk quickly. We've got two minutes. Australia and New Zealand both talking about little internal leagues with the Super Rugby sides. Uh, is that something that we can watch and be excited about, or is it really just going to be like B-League stuff? No, I mean, that's Australia talking about it. That's not New Zealand. I'll tell you this for free. New Zealand know where the money is in rugby, and they've got to be tethered to South Africa in terms of, I mean, South Africa brings the commercial value. Right. Again, that word commercial, I've used it a lot tonight, but... They do. They bring the TV audience. They bring you know, the, the, the biggest part of the package to the Sanzar deal. So New Zealand understand that. Australia um, you know, hate coming to South Africa. They don't really like South Africa. There's a lot of tension between SR rugby and Australia generally. Right. Um, but New Zealand aren't going to untether themselves from South Africa to play in a little domestic competition against Australia and, and some other teams from somewhere else. Mm. Um, yeah, New Zealand are going to fight tooth and nail to to stay with South Africa in whatever form the deal makes. It doesn't always work so well for South Africa, to be honest. Um, you know, I think South Africa would probably be better off going north and chucking all our eggs mm. in that basket um, from a time zone point of view, from a travel point of view. Our teams have been routinely done in in the travel schedule in, in Santa competitions since its inception. I mean, we go on four-week tours. They come here for two weeks. We get bashed from pillar to post. The travel schedules are horrendous. Um, you know, it's uh, it's never been equitable for South African teams in terms of travel. Mm. Uh, but you know, if they if they get a better money deal up north, then then I would say South Africa, let's go north. But you know, ultimately, it's going to come down to money. And the other thing is playing rugby against New Zealand teams and the All Blacks in particular keeps you strong in some ways. I know they beat us regularly, but <laughs> yeah, when you're playing against the best, yeah. It, it's got to keep your standard up, right? I mean, if you start playing against Italy and Romania regularly, mm. and then you suddenly come up against the All Blacks in a once-off every two or three years, you might get a shock that your standards drop. So, so it does have its pros and cons. Craig Ray, be great chatting to you. Thanks very much, and hopefully we chat again soon. Thanks, John. It was a lot of fun. Just yes, Craig Ray, Daily Maverick Sports Editor, joining us here on Sport Tracks. You with SAFM.